This evening, we will read and consider Daniel chapter 10 through 11, verse 1. After tonight, we'll be in Daniel two more times before the end of this year. But tonight's passage is, in some ways, you could say it's the context and the prelude for the final vision that Daniel receives from God. This is late in his life, and it's the longest there in 11 and 12. And so we're given somewhat of an extended introduction, but it's important to see the gravity of the situation in which he finds himself and the seriousness of the revelation in which God has shown to him for his people. Before we read God's word, let us ask for his help again this evening. Would you join me to pray? God, I give thanks for my brothers and sisters here tonight. I give thanks that you have given them faith in Christ and that they have a love for you, for your word, and for one another. So we pray that you would build us up tonight as we come to sit and hear from your word. Speak to us. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that we would know the hope to which you've called us, that we would long for and live in light of the inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus, and that your power would transform our lives, that we would not be conformed to this world, but we would be made into new people as your word has its way among us. We ask in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hear the word of God from Daniel chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth. Nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the banks of the great river, that is the Tigris. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphes around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words... I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. 
And he said to me, oh, Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, and I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And he spoke to me. I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Amen. And that ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth on all of our hearts. We're coming up on the 78th anniversary of one of the most tragic days in U.S. history. It was Sunday morning, December 7th, 1941. There, by surprise attack in Hawaii, 188 U.S. aircraft were destroyed. 2,403 Americans were killed and 1,000 170 others were wounded. It was a sad day. It was a tragic day. Now imagine if a hundred years before the attack on Pearl Harbor, you were given knowledge of this attack. You were shown that it was going to happen. Maybe you're one of the founding fathers. Maybe it's only 100 years prior to the attack, but realize 100 years before the attack, you probably didn't know what Hawaii was. You've never seen a plane or such aircraft or battleships, but you see the carnage of that day and you see the great loss. And in seeing the vision, you were told that your country would eventually be on the winning side but it was certain that they would suffer this great loss. Well, that's something of what Daniel is experiencing here. 
After the time he spent in exile, he has mined the scriptures to understand the context in which God's people have been judged and deported into Babylon. And now God is showing him what is to come, both in the end and he has shown him episodes that would come before that. And he has told them of great losses that God's people would suffer even after the exile. He's seen many visions beginning in chapter 7 and now we're coming to the end of the visions. He's assured of final victory, but he's also shown that God's people will suffer great loss and periods of persecution. And it has brought Daniel great personal pain, this knowledge. So at the end of chapter 7, he's given one of the visions, and that chapter concludes this way. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. And then at the end of the vision in chapter 8, verse 27, it says that Daniel was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I arose and went about the king's business, but was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Daniel is a man who's greatly troubled about the spiritual condition of his fellow Jews. And he's a man who is overwhelmed by what is revealed to him by the Lord. And that's where we find him in this chapter. In the previous chapter, we see his great confession of sin and how he is truly troubled by his people's sin. And that chapter closed with a vision of the end. And Daniel is still here, overwhelmed by what he sees in the spiritual condition of his nation, his brothers, and what is to eventually come. I want us to consider Daniel chapter 10 this evening under three headings. First, I want us to think about the message to the mourner. The message to the mourner. Then, we'll look at the conflict beyond and lastly, we'll consider the God of history. In verses 1 through 9 in Daniel chapter 10, we see the message to the mourner. This is a weighty passage. As we've just considered Daniel's life here at the end and how these visions affect him, many of us can relate to the time when you get news that just drives you to your knees or makes you sick to your stomach. And here Daniel is in one of those conditions. He is mourning. Why is he mourning? Well, the context is that God's people have been released after the time of the exile. That the period prophesied by Jeremiah has been fulfilled. And as Ezra tells us in Ezra chapter 1, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah was fulfilled. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom, and he put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord 
the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. And he is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men with his place, with silver and gold, with goods and beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Daniel lived to see this day. He had waited decades. And now chapter 10 begins and it gives us the time marker in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word is revealed to Daniel. In the first year, God's people are allowed to go back to Judah. And that through King Cyrus, God has commissioned them to rebuild the temple. Daniel's mourning because the first flight of exiles back to Judah wasn't very impressive. Not many have returned. And in fact, the rebuilding of the temple has ceased. Cyrus, now three years into his rule over what was the Babylonian Empire, his son, Cambyses, has delivered an edict and told them to stop building the temple. So Daniel is mourning what has happened. It was so close to what he had dreamed for for decades. And now, he doesn't know what to do. He's crying out to God. So that's the first time marker there in verse 1. But there's another time marker that marks when this happened for Daniel. It says that it was the first month of the year that he's gone on this three-week fast in mourning. The first month of the year in the Jewish calendar would have been when they would have celebrated the Passover. And here he is several years in, and there's no Passover observance, even though they were allowed to return to Jerusalem. This should be the time of feasting, but instead Daniel is fasting. He should be anointing himself as a sign of rejoicing, but instead he is mourning. And this is when God sends a message to Daniel. He sends a messenger to Daniel. There in verse 5, we get a description of this person. Look back there with me in your Bible. Daniel 10, verse 5. Daniel said, I lifted up my eyes and looked. Behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphes around his waist. His body was like beryl. His face was like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Here, this person that has come to Daniel has translucent precious stones covering them. There's lightning that goes forth from them, flames, shining metal. What we, what we have here is something that's basically beyond description. It is such a sight that it is awe-inspiring and fearful, terrifying. And here in this person that God has sent, a messenger from another realm, 
The very description of them is what Daniel needs in his time of mourning. Daniel has questions on what is God doing with his people and what are the Jews doing. And God sends this messenger, and this messenger, in his very appearance, has something that Daniel needs to be reminded of. We look at several things about his description. It resembles descriptions of what we see in Ezekiel, of the glory of the Lord. And it resembles also times in which the first chapter of Revelation, Jesus is described as a conquering victor and warrior in similar descriptions. But what stands out is that we're told of this messenger wearing linen garments. Linen seems to be the part of the description that doesn't fit in with this vision. Precious stones, gold, burnished bronze, and linen. Well, linen would have reminded Daniel of the priestly garments. Exodus 28, 42 through 43, where Moses tells that Aaron and his sons who would serve as priests, that they were to wear linen garments. So in the time in which they should have been observing Passover, he meets this messenger who in some ways resembles the priests, the one who would have officiated and led the worship of God in the, the Passover ceremony, the one who would have received the sacrifices for sins, the peace offerings, the sin offerings, the one who would have gone into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. Daniel, in his despair and in his mourning, God wants to tell him something. But also another striking feature is that it speaks of lightning in his appearance, his face being that like lightning. In Exodus 19.16 and in Exodus 20.18, as the people of God are around Mount Sinai, in both passages they're terrified because lightning is coming from the mountain. Lightning is, is a sign of the presence of God a revelation of his power and might. And it is here, this man with the linen garments and the sound of lightning, the appearance of lightning. The messenger is, is part of the message that God wants Daniel to get a hold of. That he is a God who has not changed that he has remembered his promises to his people, that he is a God who has provided a way of atonement and forgiveness and reconciliation, who has given them the priesthood, who has instructed their worship, who has provided offerings for sin, and he is the God of great might and power. Everything that God's people need, he still is that. That though they do not live that way, that though they have no driving impetus to rebuild the temple, God still is who he is for his people. He has not changed. 
and he will not change. And Daniel, in great mourning and certainly disappointment, God comes to him through this messenger in this way. But then, the messenger brings a word. He brings a vision. But in doing so, he tells Daniel that he's been delayed. So in verses 10 through 14, he tells him of the conflict that is beyond the realm in which Daniel can see with his natural eyes. Now, the question for many is trying to identify exactly who this messenger is. And it's here in verses 10 through 14, I think is very helpful. There are those who would want to say that is this messenger because he resembles the glory of the Lord in the book of Ezekiel and particularly the vision of Christ in Revelation chapter 1 that could this be a pre-incarnate Christ? But here in the text, in, ta- in Daniel chapter 10 verse 11, this person comes and he identifies himself as a messenger. He comes to speak on behalf of the Lord. He comes to speak with a message from the Lord. And then particularly in verse 13, this person who's come to Daniel says that he was resisted. He said that the prince of the kingdom of Persia would withstood me 21 days. It would appear that the prince of the kingdom of Persia is a demonic spiritual influence over the kingdom of Persia. And in the realm that goes beyond our natural viewing, there has been a conflict between this messenger and this demonic being. So the fact that this messenger was withstood for three weeks, I think gives us good reason to say that it's not the pre-incarnate Christ that is here. Because it wasn't until Christ's incarnation that he knew any humility or suffering in any way. And to be withstood by a demonic power is not something that the Lord of glory just takes sitting down. But what's important here is that as he is moving towards explaining the vision that will be in 11 and 12, we're giving a peek into a window that is so easy to dismiss. There's a conflict in the spiritual realm that goes beyond what can be observed with our five senses. And now this man has come to him, a messenger. But what we see here is that what happens here on this terrestrial ball is influenced by a spiritual unseen realm, but also what happens in that realm is influenced by what happens here as well. And here, there is good instruction for the believer, but what do we do with such knowledge of spiritual conflict that goes beyond what we can observe? What does Daniel do? Well, this messenger has come from him from God because Daniel was praying. There is a reminder here about the power of prayer. But as it's identified in the chapter, it's not the power of prayer itself. It is whom your prayers are directed to. 
is what makes prayer powerful. There is a view today that would say that just prayer itself is therapeutic. And so there are those who would consider themselves agnostic, but at times would be okay with the practice of praying, expressing what's on your mind, expressing what's troubling you. And they themselves, who might consider themselves to be agnostic, meaning that I don't know if there's a God. I don't know which God is the true God. I don't know which religion is the true religion. I don't know what faith I should follow. But I said a prayer because I was in a difficult time. Or I'm sending my thoughts and prayers with you. Now, Daniel's prayer is powerful, not just in this is what he needed to do in his morning to get off what was on his chest, but let's be reminded that the power of prayer is because whom we direct our prayers to. And that is a good reminder that the power of our prayer isn't based on the eloquence of our prayers. It's not based on how fluid we can speak and how pious we can sound, how reverent, how earnest, but it's whom they are directed to in sincerity. But then, look back at verses 11 and 12, we see something very important to understand about the spiritual battle that Daniel finds himself in and that each of us find ourselves in. Look back at verses 11 and 12 of chapter 10, the greeting, and then it says, I have been sent to you, and when he had spoken his word to me, I stood up trembling. In verse 12, then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have become, I have come because of your words. Daniel, in his seeking God, in his desperation, and in his desperate prayer, what was he asking God for? It was for understanding. He was asking God for, for illumination, that he would have better insight into what God had shown him. And this is where the unseen spiritual and the world we live in often overlap. The battlefield is the mind. And this is the battle that Daniel was, was raging, and this is the one in which the divine messenger comes. It's a battle over understanding. Would Daniel know what God had told him? It's a battle for the truth, but not just that the truth would be revealed in a way that he had a recollection of it, but that it was something he could bring to his mind and heart and base his life on. This is the spiritual battle that we often find ourselves in. Would we believe God's word or not? This is the ploy of the enemy. The scriptures identify him as the liar. How would he try to attack most of our lives? It would be with lies. How would his minions and demons seek to lead us astray? It would begin with planning thoughts and ideas and temptation in our mind. There is the battle over the mind. The enemy is a liar. The enemy is seeking 
to attack many people's minds by causing great worry and unbelief. And in doing so, he is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that's why the Apostle Peter says we are to then those anxious thoughts, those anxieties, we are to bring them to God. Romans 12.1, the Apostle tells us that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That we aren't to be conformed to this world. This world that is still, for the time being, until Christ's return, under the influence of Satan. But we need to transform by the renewing of his mind. Here, it is amazing that in a passage about this great spiritual conflict that Daniel's given insight into, it does come back to prayer and studying the Word of God. We are to hide God's Word in our heart that we would not sin against Him, that we would not be treasonous, that we would not be swayed by our enemy. And in the context of what Daniel is seeking, understanding into God's Word and going to God in prayer, there is a comfort for the people of God in the spiritual battle we find ourselves in. Did you see the comfort in the passage? Back to verse 11. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you. A man greatly loved. This could be translated, the one in whom the Lord takes delight. Daniel is in a situation where he is asking God why. He is asking God when. This is not how he expected the end of the exile to come about. He is greatly burdened and disappointed with what is happening with God's people and their sins. And at some point, he may have been tempted to believe the lie that he was cast off. We don't know why he didn't go back to Jerusalem and try to rebuild the temple. I think we could safely go with, he was a very old man at this point. He's spent seven decades in Babylon, and he was brought there as a, most likely a teenager. He may have stayed behind because he m might not have been of good use. There may have been commitments in the king's court we don't know the reason why he didn't go, but it would seem that maybe he is struggling with despair and that God has cast him off and forgotten his faithfulness. That the Lord has forgotten Daniel's faithfulness now for many, many years. So this messenger tells Daniel, the Lord still delights in you. Don't look at what is happening and trust. Trust that his love is enough for you. Trust that his love is not lost because you feel alone and because you feel separated from what you longed for for so long. 
Lord still delights in you, Daniel. And to every Christian soldier here today, beat down in the battle for your heart and mind, your Savior says the same. That I love you, I delight in you, I love you because I love you, and that this battle will not be the end. Then, finally, in verses 15 to 21, we see the God of history. The God of history. This messenger, he, he touches Daniel three times. And here, the third time he touches him, Daniel receives strength. He tells him that there's still more conflict to come. And then, in verse 21 of chapter 10, what does he tell Daniel? I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against you except Michael, your prince. But what he tells him, this phrase, the book of truth, it's a strange way to, to speak. What book is he referring to? Well, what he's referring to is that the God who has sent me has sent a message, and it will not fail. There is nothing false about it. It is completely true. And it's a challenge to Daniel. Daniel, in this moment, say, do I believe the message that has come from the Lord, or will I believe what I see with my eyes before me? And the Lord is going at great lengths to then give him a vision. And so it's not merely the affirmation that God controls history, but here, when he points them to this book of truth that says that not only does God control history, but the one who controls history is the one who is best to interpret history. He's the one to, to rightly interpret the events. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows the kings that will rise, the kings that will fall. He knows the purpose of their rising and the purpose of their falling. He knows the victories in battle and he knows the great casualties of battle. And he is working it all according to his purposes. And so he has given his people revelation and truth in order that as we go into the spiritual battle and as the war rages around us, we have insight that the Lord is the victor and that he will rule and reign and that his kingdom will have no end and that all the kingdoms of this world are temporary. But in doing so, to come to that place and that confidence that the God who controls history is directing it for his glory and for the salvation of his people, that meant that God himself would enter the conflict. There's something of this chapter 10, Daniel's weakness, Daniel's burden. He knows what is to come, and he's drawn to his knees. This is something of, you could say it's Daniel's Gethsemane. 
where the burden of what is to come has drained him. And though this divine messenger, I don't think it's the Lord of glory, the Lord of glory did enter the conflict and humble himself. And he came to crush the head of the serpent, but in doing so, his heel was bruised. He came to conquer the enemy, but in doing so, himself suffered death. And there, with the knowledge of the cross before him, on the cusp of suffering hell, Jesus drained, falls to his knees and cries out, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There, he knows the divine will. And in his human nature, he has a human will that resists because it's going to be painful and suffering but it's a sinless human nature. And he embraces the calling that his heavenly father has put before him. But he genuinely dreads it. It is exhausting. It is a terrifying thought. He dreads it because he is the one who is from the father, loved by the father, who has always loved the father. And the very thought of being Abandoned on the cross in order to suffer for our sins. That he would receive his father's wrath. And in that moment, not his father's love is terrifying. He loves his father. And asks that the cup would be removed. But also he loves his people. And he's ready to drink it. And did you ever notice in Luke's gospel. That as Jesus is under the weight of what he knows is is to happen and the suffering before him, before he gets up, before his betrayer comes, there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. There appeared one from the realm we can't see and God in flesh received the ministry of angels. He would be there suffering alone at the cross. But before he goes there, there's this great message that you're not alone. God has sent his messenger to his only son to strengthen him on the cusp of suffering hell in your place. Daniel, in his great mourning, God sends a messenger to remind him of who God is, his character, his person. And that in the midst of the conflict, he is not alone. So if you find yourself weary, exhausted, spiritually beat up, attacked by the enemy, your God knows. And when we ask, he sends help. When we ask, he sends help. Strength is available for all this evening who would look to Christ.
in the midst of the battle you find yourself in. Let us go to the Lord and ask for his blessing on the preaching of his word. Our great God, in the midst of great trouble, in the midst of sleepless nights, Lord, in the midst of confusion and frustration over what is happening and when we are unclear what is next, we are reminded that you do not leave us, that your angels are battling for us, and that your son has won the final victory. And so in the midst of persecution, famine, nakedness, and sword, in the midst of counting ourselves as sheep ready for the slaughter, we know that we are more than overcomers through him who loved us. Help us by your spirit to look to the one who is victorious on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.